Hey there, Emo for Easy listeners. Drew here. We are at ASAP 2019 in not quite as snowy as it was this morning, Denver. It's no. finally sunny out. Got co-host Andy Little and an awesome guest, Ali Raja. This is a voice you've probably heard. He has a podcast, Worms Medicine News. He's also the what editor-in-chief now of uh, New England Journal of Medicine, Journal Watch. That's right. The emergency medicine version. Yeah. As well as a um, kind of big deal physician in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for having me. And thanks for letting me... Uh Show up a few minutes late. I'm wearing dress shoes in Denver right after a snowstorm, which was a mistake. I bought Slick. it. I almost bought it yeah. a couple of times on the uh, on the street, but I didn't. So I'm here and I'm excited. It's like I, I came across a metal grate yesterday that had it in for me. Uh, and yeah. if it wasn't it for Andy's broad him. shoulders, I would have gone, <laughs> gone, gone down lane. hard. Andy does have broad shoulders. I do. He does. I do does have broad shoulders. shoulders. So, Ali, you are joining us today to talk to, about something that uh, you've given a couple presentations on, and I think is a passion for you, which is time management and deep work. It is. So, tell us a little bit about that. I've got to tell you, this is one of those things that I'm really passionate about because I sucked at it for so long in my career, right? We start our careers, whether they're academic careers, whether they're community careers, whether it's if you go all the way back to college or med school, and we are basically just told that we have to follow this path and take on all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves so buried and deep in the stuff that we're doing that we don't remember why we're doing it. And we don't remember the other parts of our lives that are so important that are, are actually the reasons why we are at work every day. And so I like to talk about this just to help remind people that there are ways to manage yourself and prioritize your time that allow you to both feel fulfilled at work, but also have a life outside of work. So you're obviously a high performer. You have uh, lots of different titles, and yet you still manage to balance work life, other obligations, family life, yeah. which I think is what all of us as professionals, particularly in academics, but even in the community setting, are trying to do. Yeah. How do you maintain yourself as a family person, as a professional, and then find time for all the interests that you have outside of maybe both of those? What, what's, the, what's the balance key? So I think that the key for me, everybody's going to be a little bit different. The key for me is that I try to double dip. I I ruthlessly double dip. And so, for example, here, I'm at ASAP, right? And I'm here at ASAP for a few days. But my family's here. My kids are sledding. And they went to the Children's Museum today where they went trick-or-treating because now they get to go trick-or-treating twice because Halloween's not really for another three days. Mm -hmm. um, and I find ways to mix things as often as I can, whether that's making sure I go to the gym with my wife so I get time with my wife and get to go to the gym, whether it's bringing the family to a conference like this. Mm -hmm. I, I find ways to double dip as often as possible to try to get my family involved with our lives. Now, my wife's a professional. She's a dermatology nurse practitioner who also got a DNP and so now teaches at a nursing school full-time. Mm -hmm. And so it's tough juggling that sometimes, yeah. but I think that's where the prioritization comes in. I, I think that's nice the way you talk about double dipping is you're able to maximize the, hey, I have to go do this anyways. What, what can I turn that into? But how do you do that with the other parts of your life? Because I think that's that's probably a good first-level idea, yeah. that if you have to go to a conference, take your family. I love the idea of going to, going to the gym with your wife. My wife and I started doing that a couple months ago. And nice. We don't do the same workout, but we're in the same physical space. We're there together. We ride to and from the gym together to where you know we don't meet each other there. We actually make you know maybe 25 minutes in the car that is at least something more than we had before. That's it. that's exactly right, right? Like meeting each other at the gym almost kind of defeats the purpose if you're not working out together. Yeah. But that 25 minutes in the car... yeah. That's your chance to catch up with your spouse, significant other, husband, yeah. or wife that you might not have had. Yeah. But what do you do on the professional side? Because right. I feel like that's where, from, a, from an optics view, I think our listeners, when they look you up, they're going to say, how in the world does this guy manage all these high-level things at the same time? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me is that I... You've heard me say this before, mm -hmm. but I prioritize a lot and I prioritize ruthlessly. So it's not even just, hey, I make a list of four or five things, but I just cross things off the list. Now... 
I will give the caveat that I get to do that now, right? Like you guys get to do that now. You get to say no to things. A first-year medical student, a first-year resident, a brand-new attending is going to have a little bit of a harder time saying no. And for a lot of those folks, I actually like to tell them to say yes until they can get to the point that they can say no. Mm -hmm. And I get that. I think you do have to say yes to a lot of things at the beginning. Um, But once you can start prioritizing, once you have the ability to say no, you should. And Andy, I think you might have heard me say this once at a conference Mm -hmm. down in Kentucky. Um, You both might have been there, actually. But what I like to do myself is when I'm asked whether or not I want to do something, I think about whether or not I would want to do it tomorrow. So if I'm asked to give a talk nine months from now, I'm probably going to think, yeah, I can do that. Why not? I'll, I'll get ready for it a couple of weeks before. And the, but I put myself in the shoes of thinking about whether or not it was tomorrow. Would I still mm-hmm. want to do it? Is that a person that I'm excited to go give a talk to? Is that a group of people that I really want to connect with? Or is that just something that, man, I said, nine, I said yes nine months ago and now I'm stuck doing it, so I have to do it. And if I wouldn't say yes to it if it was tomorrow, why in the world would I say yes to it when it's six or nine months from now? It's going to be tomorrow at some point. That's such a great concept and it's so true in many parts of our life. I, my wife and I agreed to have our house on a home tour in the, uh, the part Ooh, of the town that we live nice. in. And again, nine, nine months before the tour, it seemed like a perfectly fine idea. The week before the tour with two young kids in the house trying to get everything ready plus juggling our professional lives and everything else going on, having to be out of our house for seven hours, it seemed like a horrible idea. And if somebody had put that in front of me right then, I very well might have said, hey, maybe in another couple of years when the kids are older and and this is a little bit better. So I think that's probably perspective for life, not just for career stuff. So. I like the idea of being able to say no. Something I struggle with a lot because I'm transitioning to the point in my life where maybe I can start saying no to things. I find some of the things I want to say no to are things I'm currently doing because there's opportunities coming up that can replace that, that I'm more interested in, that are more consistent with what my goals and objectives are currently. I'm sure you've come across this too. How do you say no to something you're already involved in? How do you politely back away and and recognize that maybe I need to get this off my plate so I can put something new on my plate? Realize that all of us have a an expiration date for all of our activities. At some point, whatever you're doing, even this podcast, right, which is amazing and has tons of downloads, at some point you're going to get to it into a point in your career where you just say, you know what, I'm I'm kind of calling it in on this. I really want to do a bunch of other stuff, and I'm not putting the energy and time and devotion that I was 5 or 10 or 15 years ago. And if you remember that there's probably somebody who's, I don't want to say younger because I don't want to be ageist, but somebody who's hungry and wants that opportunity. So when I say no to things, I usually find somebody who wants that and is actually really good for it. And they might not be at that point exactly in their career, but they will be in a few months or a few years. And I'll come up with a transition plan to get myself out and get that person in. It's, a, it's really, honestly, it's another win-win, right? Because yeah. I get to get out and I get to focus on what I want to do. But both that group that I'm working with or that job that I have, they get somebody who comes in with new ideas and that new person gets an opportunity they never would have had otherwise. So it, I, I don't like just saying no and walking away, but I really like to champion somebody else who might be better for that role and might be able to devote themselves more to it. So note to self, if you get an email from Ali saying, I have a job for you... <laughs> No, it's but, something that he stepped it's away from. But, but I, th- I think that's key because we've talked a lot about like the idea of how do we help other people transition. And maybe that's a new way everybody listening to this, if there's something you're not doing, just find somebody and sponsor them yeah. to take over your job. Absolutely. Sponsorship yeah. at its finest. It, yeah. That's exactly. And it's a way to win for everybody. Can we just go, go back to your house tour example? Yeah. Just because that's what I find myself doing a lot of times and I've really tried to get away from it. And I don't know if this is if this is uh, right for you or not. But you said, you know, I thought to myself that maybe in a couple of years when our kids are a little older and we have some more time, then we'll do the house tour. 
I found at least personally, I never have more time in the future. Right? Yeah, like that no, just there, 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 there is never more time. I, I totally agree with that. It probably would have been easier to be away from our house for seven hours uh, if my kids were 10 and five as yeah. opposed to six and two and mainly the two year old yeah. because she did great, but she fell apart yeah. with about a half hour to go. Oh. Right. As we're essentially driving around the neighborhood, just waiting for the last couple of people to go through our house. Oh. Um, she, she was a champion, but you know, we've yeah. anyone with kids has been there. You know, when yeah. your, your uh, yeah, two year old hits, they're hits when they're done, they're done. Yeah. And there's just nothing you can do about it. So that's, that, that, that was my time. I completely agree that if you're looking at something thinking, you know, in a couple of years, I'm going to have time to be able to do it. The, I guarantee if you can't make time now, you're not going to be able to make time in a couple of years because yep. you will be just as busy, if not busier, doing deeper work. You're exactly right. So, you know, when we think about deep work, there's a lot of different readings up out there, whether you do batch work, whether you, um, you know, you do multiplicity where you do one project and turn it into multiple different avenues or one, different products. How do you go about doing that? I'm a big fan of the latter. So if you are going to, and you've all heard this before, but if, if you're going to spend the time and effort to research something, to write a protocol, to come up with something, and we're talking about work now, then there are so many different avenues these days that you can use to put that out there. Whether it's coming on a great podcast and talking to you guys, whether it's writing a blog post, whether it's doing traditional academic um, writing, mm-hmm. whether it's going in and publishing in the lay media and working with Slate or the New York Times or somebody else to talk about it. You know, who's, so my friend Megan Rainey is actually amazing about this, right? Like in the past week, she did a TED Talk. Oh, she's, and yeah. then she did something in the Harvard Business Review. And they've written something for Time. And she's published in traditional academic journals. And, and so it's, if you're going to do the work and you're going to develop this expertise, make sure you make the most of it. Well, just as you're doing right now, there's so many marquee speakers, particularly in the world of emergency medicine, that if you look at them, and Rebel Yim is great at doing this, Sal is, is incredible. Yeah. He puts together a talk, and that talk is a blog post, yep. which is then a podcast. And now you've covered three different social media venues. Uh, you've put a lot of time and effort into something that gets your platform out there in multiple different ways, and it's a great way to exponentiate the work that you're doing. Did you just make up a word? No. It's exponentiate a real word? It probably is. I believe... Thank you for teaching me that. Exponentiate. I'm going to use it all the time. My vocabulary. My vocabulary actually just became exponentiated. This is why I hang out with Drew. I'm feeling myself getting exponentiating right now. Drew, the whole reason for this podcast is for my grammar to get get better, by the way. So... So what do you tell somebody who's just starting out? So let's say, you know, uh, they just got got their first job, academic or community. They want to find their niche. They don't know what it is. What's Ali Raja's tips for that? 100% of the time, you've got to find yourself a mentor, find yourself a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be willing to do the work that they ask you to do at Mm -hmm. the beginning because that's how you find your footing. Unless you know. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a bunch of residents and junior faculty coming out now who have visions far beyond whatever my vision was yeah. when I was a resident. I just wanted a job. Mm-hmm. And so these folks come out and they know that they want to focus on social EM or they want to focus on particular aspects of, of medical administration. Or they, For those folks, if you know what you're going to do, then do it and find some folks to work with you. But if you're not quite sure, and, and Indy, you mentioned, if you're not quite sure what your niche is, mm-hmm. find somebody who has their own niche, begin to work with them. And even if that's not your niche, the passion they have about their niche and the way that they take whatever their random topic is and they build upon it, you can do that with whatever your topic is. It doesn't have to even be related at all. But the way that they get grants about it, the way that they write about it, the way that they speak about it, the way that they travel around the country giving talks about it, that is going to apply for you in your niche, even if it's totally diametrically opposed to it. Yeah. So going from the concept of exponentiating, it is a word, fact check. Thank you so much for checking. I appreciate that. 
explanation of your work and finding maybe somebody to help guide you through that process when you're getting into the daily and weekly scheduling. Yeah. What's your method? And understand that everyone has their own method. I, we were just talking to another, uh, another guest about he hyper-schedules. You know, he schedules time to do scheduling. Do like five minutes or ten minutes at a time? Would it so, sometimes. Yeah. And it's just every, almost every block of his day is scheduled. Uh, you know, free time is even scheduled on his calendar. Oh, nice. I can't do that. That gives me anxiety when I look at a schedule that has... You that, actually has, look a little more anxious now. I, I'm sweating. Okay. So <laughs> whether it's to-do list, whether it's scheduling, what, what is your method to keep track of your workflow and to make sure that you have time to do the deep work you need to do, but also time to do the other things that make you successful? So I think the overall concept of, of I, I've got to say hyper-scheduling, what you just described, is already giving making me a little anxious as well. I think that were I to do that, I would really overestimate what I could do. And I heard this long ago. I did not make up this quote. But the fact that we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in a year. And so, for example, I'm learning Spanish right now. And when I started a over a year ago, um, I didn't think that I would know nearly as much as I do now, but I scheduled these weekly Spanish lessons, and all of a sudden now I can speak to my patients with some semblance of Spanish. I never would have thought that I could actually get there, but it's taken a year. Similarly, if I tried to hyper-schedule and fit in 20 different things in one day, I guarantee I would get through like three or four of them, and then I'd feel guilty every single day as I, as I push things You up. become defeated almost because you're not able to get through your to-do list or your task list as opposed to gaining momentum by being successful and checking things off. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I forget whether or not it was General McChrystal or somebody else who wrote that book about, you know, just making your bed in the morning, right? Like having that first little victory. But, and then that's setting the tone for the rest of your day. But conversely, if what you've made is a list of hyper-scheduled events and all of a sudden by 10 a.m. you're already behind on four of them, the rest of your day just shot the crap. I couldn't pull that off myself. It yeah. clearly works for other people as well. Um, I come up with three or four things that I'm going to do. That are, so I have my scheduled meetings, right? Like you can't get out of like this. This was awesome, but I didn't have to think about this. This is basically something that's been on my calendar for a month. And so there's no other thought that yeah. went into it. But for projects to actually work on things I want to do, I usually come up with more than three or four of them per day. And I think about them the night before. I think about what I'm going to do the next day to push those forward. And all I want to do is make a little movement on them every single day. That's, awesome. Along those lines, and this is maybe not a question you're prepared to answer, but I think you will have I'm an making all for this it. up as I go along. I know you are, and you're so good at it. Um, you talk about thinking about things the night before mm-hmm. and preparing yourself for your next day's to-do list and task list. How do you do that, but at the same time, make sure that you're not always thinking about your next thing to do so that you can be present in the times that you need to be present for, whether that's family or something else? I will admit that I'm not always fully present right now. I'm actually thinking about the new Star Wars movie. But what I, I was thinking th- about the new Top Gun movie. So I oh, think we're, in, yeah, we're which, in great. Which is really just a rehash of the original. Which is fine with me. It's just, I totally agree. So the fact is that because I've gotten in the habit of thinking about the stuff I'm going to do tomorrow, right before I go to bed tonight, I don't think about it except for then. Because I know that I'll have that time set aside mentally to think about it. So I don't have to think about it until that time comes around. Now, if I, if I didn't have that time and I just said sometime before now and tonight, I need to think about my three or four big things tomorrow, I'd probably spend a lot of time between now and tonight thinking about them. But I know that mentally I'm just going to do that right before I go to bed. So I'm not focusing on it until then. That's fantastic. That's very, very it's good. good scheduling. Yeah, it is. It, it is scheduled, I guess. It's just not something that I've written down. Sure. So the skeptic part of my brain has a question. Oh, yeah. How does this deep work mentality happen in the case of emergencies? 
So we all have emergencies. Deadlines change. You know, people move the, the, the yardstick that you're being measured by. Do you think being the way that you are in terms of deep work facilitates you being ready for that? Or does that totally throw a, a, a wrench in it? It does because I, I'm also pretty forgiving of myself. So if I've got something planned for today, if I have three or four things that I wanted to get today done today and there's an emergency, my kid breaks their arm, I, I get busy at work, somebody comes into the ED that I just need to go down and say hi to because there's some sort of VIP, yeah. and I push it off to tomorrow, that's okay. Yeah. Because I didn't hyper-schedule it. I didn't say that I have to do it at 1 o'clock. I just yeah. said I was going to try to do it that day and okay. just move it forward in some incremental account, amount. That's great. You, have, you have to be forgiving yourself or else you're just beating yourself up. and. When you start beating yourself up, you you inherently, and this is probably a conversation you guys don't want to get into, but you start beating people up around you that you love, right? Like you're, you're beating yourself up, you're angry at yourself, and all of a sudden, it's actually your kid who is keeping you from working on that project, even though there were 20 other things that were on your project. And so, you know, like my son's taking too long to brush his teeth, and man, if he was done brushing his teeth faster, I'd be able to work on that project. And so, like, I'll get mad at him for not brushing his teeth fast enough. I and feel so, like every parent has had that conversation. Brush your teeth quicker. And it's always because we're trying to yeah. do something that, honestly, we should have done earlier in the day or should be doing the next day. And so if we get pissed off at ourselves, we end up taking that on, on people we love. Yeah, That's just good life advice right there. Great life advice. Love it. Ali, what else along this concept of getting work done, getting things done, being hyper-efficient is on your mind that you want to share? So the David Allen's Getting Things Done. There's a lot that you can learn from that book. But the biggest thing that I've taken away from it, and with most books that I read, I only take away one or two things. But the biggest thing that I've always done is, is, is this concept of if you can do it in two minutes, don't hyper-schedule it for tomorrow at 3.47 p.m., just do it. Because it honestly takes longer to schedule and plan and put that thing back in the deep recesses of your mind that you have to pull back out later versus if it's just something you can whip out in two minutes and send an email or or do one quick little task, just get that out of the way. And so that's what I try to do. So instead of hyper-scheduling things, I, I don't mean to beat up on hyper-scheduling. Whoever your guest was that talked about that, I'm sure that fits really well for them. Mm -hmm. But rather than make a list of things, I just try to take care of them right then if they're short. We are cognitively offloading that right. from being in your brain. and. Uh, I relate that to advice I give to residents on shift all the time, which is documentation gets done whenever you dispo the patient. Yeah. And the reason for that is, one, that's just good practice to get into. But two, if you wait to have 20 charts at the end of your shift, yeah. you have it documented on, you're using so much more brain power to hold on to salient information from those patient encounters as opposed to just getting it done and offloading it. And maybe that's a little more than two minutes, although if you become an efficient charter, not much. And then it's gone. And that, that applies to many, many things, emails, little tasks, just take care of it right away. That's such a great point. You're right. I hadn't thought about it translating to charts on shift, but it's a perfect parallel. At some point later on in your reader or your listeners' lives, and many of your listeners mm -hmm. are, are just younger mm -hmm. or earlier in their career, many of them are also more senior. I mean, yeah. they listen all the time. The, the concept of finding folks who can do things for you and offloading tasks um, uh, is, is one that I use all the time. So mm -hmm. I've got somebody who helps with editing my papers after I've written them. I've got, you know, we've got the nanny. We've got the person who helps. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that you can try to offload. Delegating seems a little weird because it's not like I'm going to give them, I'm not giving them the credit for the work that they're helping me with. Mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of delegation I do at work, try to get people uh, to do great work and then give them all the credit for it. But if you can just offload, get that, get the monkeys off your back and just have somebody else deal with that ta those tasks. I mean, I don't mind paying somebody to mow my lawn because it means I actually get to hang out with my kids. Now, yeah. when my kids are a little older, they're mowing the lawn. Yeah. But, uh, but I get to hang out with my family, and every dollar spent that, I, that allows me to do that is well worth it. It's no different than saying yes or no. It's that cost-benefit. Yeah. What, what is the cost 
of the benefit I'm going to get. And at some point you have to say, you know, my, my time is valuable, even if I'm not actively earning income Mm -hmm. and what is that worth? And so is two hours cleaning the house worth an hour of my shift clinically. It's a great example. And I think at the same time, it it goes into the also forgiving yourself of the expectation that I have to be the person that does everything. Does everything. Because you don't have to be, like you said, there are people who can help you offload a large amount of the work that we carry around with us all the time. So, so I'll summarize kind of your salient points for our listeners so they kind of get that wrapped up summary for them on, on how to do better work. I think we've covered a lot of stuff. The main two or three things are number one, you want to, you do want to say yes at the beginning of your career because that's what's going to teach you how to be successful in whatever career path you've chosen, whether it's, it's being a, you know, an artist or being an emergency physician. So you do have to say yes to some things until you can get to the point where you can say no. If you're going to say no, make it a win-win for everybody involved. And that applies, uh, that applies for work, but also the win-win concept is one that can help you at home as well. And then lastly, just make sure that when you are at the point in your life where you can afford to pay people so that you can do the things that are important to you, whether that's a hobby, whether that's your family, whether that's work, don't be afraid to do that. And you hit the nail on the head, Andy. Just Mm -hmm. forgive yourself for it because it's allowed and it's okay. That's awesome. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. If you're not already following him on Twitter, which there are thousands of people doing it, you should. He is uh, a prolific tweeter with awesome information out there his podcast through em news is also amazing as is all the work he's doing with the new england journal of medicine and the many other hats you wear you just exponentiated all of my social media stuff thank you you're welcome and don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts twitter facebook and instagram also on our soon to be renovated website emovereasy.com and thanks so much for listening Awesome. I'll let's do a quick mic check. Yep, check check. One, two, three. Yeah, you're good. You have a, you have the voice. It's not like you've never done this before. Yeah. <clears throat> oh wait, you have your own podcast. Oh, Dude, no, I just started a second one. Uh-huh. Another one? I, I, I started. I jumped. I saw that. It looks yeah, it looks yeah, pretty awesome. Interesting. We'll yeah. see August. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys on. You guys have done this before, right? Yeah. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at Drew the way he looks at me whenever it's nope. my turn. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> All right, game face. <laughs>